rock and roll podcast check out this record my name is mark and with me as always is my good buddy frank hello mark hello listeners and once again hey mark listeners who play along at home know you can find us on spotify apple podcasts and wherever you find podcasts like amazon that's right that's right new episodes drop to your ears every friday and of course for your listening pleasure for our new listeners out there, this is the podcast where Frank and I recommend albums to each other to review. We have a wide variety of musical discussions like our Spotlight series, where we dig into a band's catalog and see what comes out the other side. Or in our verse series, where we pit two albums, sometimes three, against each other, and they duke it out for total stereo domination. Be sure to check us out on Instagram and our Facebook group. We like to drop additional content and hopefully leave you wanting more of Frank's musical goodness and my personal random nonsense. If you've got a record you'd like for us to check out, drop a comment wherever you find us. While you're at it, subscribe and give us a, a review and rating uh, while you're at it, you know, because that's what people do. So I say this, Frank, how are you, my man? Hey, man, I am good. And this episode, you know, it's a little different for us. It's a spotlight, but not only on a career which was short, uh, but then discussing a really unfortunate passing that most really don't know. So, Mark, I've been a fan and listener of Jeff Buckley for a while. However, back in the 90s when it came out, I, I wasn't digging that style of music. Uh, I thought it was way too soft. And one day a tune came on uh, recently, uh, say over the past couple of years, and I was like, wait a minute, did this guy has an incredible voice and these lyrics are unreal. So I became a fan and became intrigued in his life since he, since it was cut short uh, and his songwriting. Uh, so since you've been listening to this stuff, say for the past week, what, what, what did you really think? And what did you make of it? You know, I really dig the tone uh, and the sound he gets. Um, I was blown away uh, by his vocal performance. Really, really uh, surprising. The, the voice and the, the, what he does with it. Really great stuff. That said, I didn't really particularly uh, hear any lyrics that were profoundly or particularly cool to me, um, but I, I, I dug what he was doing. Uh, I appreciate all the elements of the, the music. This is going to be one of those situations where musically it didn't necessarily connect with me. I, I didn't know that the, the sum of all the pieces were, were better together, but uh, I really dug it, and I, I appreciated uh, hearing him definitely step out on some ledges with that that second record we'll talk about in a little bit. Yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm with you on that. And you know, most may not be familiar with him, and I think Mark a good way to kind of break the listeners in uh, to him, or maybe even those who are fans of him and maybe didn't know a couple of things um, that we could do a top ten of things that maybe people didn't know about Jeff Buckley, and and we can alternate. How how does that sound? Sounds good to me, buddy. Okay, and I'll, and I'll kick us off. So let's start number one. So number one is his father was Tim Buckley. So Tim Buckley was a 60s cult folk icon. Uh, they only met each, um, each other a few times as Tim died of a drug overdose at the age of 28. So, and then it's pretty ironic uh, eventually then what we'll end up talking about. But yeah, so Tim Buckley was Jeff Buckley's father. Wow. Uh, Scotty Moorhead, you know, Jeff's full name was Jeffrey Scott Buckley. In his youth, he went uh, by Scotty Moorhead, which was his, uh, his stepfather's last name. Then in high school, decided to go, uh, go by Jeff. So there you go. And so at one time, he was he, Scotty Moorhead. That's right. He was Scotty Moorhead. And then he went back to being uh, Jeff Buckley. 
So interesting. As a youth, you tend to take on different personas and came back being his father's son. Yeah, absolutely. Good way to good way to state it for sure. Um, the third thing uh, is that he debuted in the church. So Jeff's first solo performance was at St. Anne's Episcopal uh, Church in Brooklyn Heights. Uh, he was asked uh, to perform a tribute to his late father. So that's where his first solo performance uh, occurred was in that church in Brooklyn Heights. So that's another thing about Mr. Buckley. Yeah. Uh Almost backed a Rolling Stone. Oh, this is pretty cool. He almost backed Mick Jagger on a solo tour, but after his audition, Jagger was like, nah, I'm good. And he got somebody else. <laughs> but almost backed a stone. Look at that. Almost. Look at that. Uh, number five is Columbia Records. So while being courted by several major lab- labels in the early 90s, Jeff decided to go with Columbia because it was home to one of his heroes, Mr. Bob Dylan. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're going to follow an artist uh, or go to a record label based on who they've had before. That's a good one to start. Um, at number six, we have Coffee House Crap. In New York City's East Village, Jeff played a tiny 50-seat venue uh, at the Sin-ish, or excuse me, Sin-E Irish Coffee House. He would tell the audience that he wanted to coast on these songs and learn to be a singer. Um these performances created an underground buzz, which uh, attracted fans and record executives. And I believe his first EP is actually a live recording. That is right. Coffee house, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool that that's kind of how, how it all started and you get to hear it too. Cause it's not just you're reading about it. Um, number seven is last goodbye. So Jeff's debut album grace was released on August 23rd, 1994, and it failed to make an impact on the charts. However, the second single last goodbye was pushed pretty heavily by the record label. And that was a song that broke through. It was on constant rotation on MTV and VH one. So last goodbye could have very well been his last chance. You know, he's a uh, number eight. We have sense of humor. Buckley was once phoned by a radio host uh, during an episode of his show and was given a request. Jeff then covered a Dylan song. I shall be released over the phone, showcasing its humor and talent. There you go. So it seems like he was a good sport then, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like he played along. And, and of course, he pulled an old Dylan uh, number out of his back pocket, which I'm pr- sure wasn't the request. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Uh, number nine, look, so this is interesting. In 1995, he was named one of People's Magazine's 50 Most Beautiful People, and they said he was mortified by it. <laughs> At number 10, uh, Memphis. Buckley wanted to escape the madness of New York City and the pressure surrounding his sophomore record. He relocated to Memphis, where he would dive into the Wolf, R- Wolf River Harbor and obviously, um, we'll be talking about that story here in a little bit, as he would never make it out of the river alive. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And there's a lot to go with that for for sure, lots of, lots to unpack. So let's start off uh, with the early years uh, and, and discovery leading up to that first album, uh, Grace. So again, before we dive into it's a lone studio album, uh, let's look at his early life. So he was born in Anaheim, California, November 17th, nineteen six. 66, right? <laughs> and he was the son of singer-songwriter Tim Buckley. He was raised by his mother and stepfather. His mother was a classically trained pianist and cellist, which is cool. Uh, his father 
introduced him into bands such as Led Zeppelin, Queen, Hendrix, and Pink Floyd. At the age of 12, uh, he decided to become a musician. And at 19, after high school, he moved to Hollywood and attended the Musicians Institute. After completing one year, uh, he said it was the biggest waste of time. He played in all sorts of bands from jazz, reggae, roots, rock, and heavy metal. And in 1990, he finds that he moves himself to New York City. Uh, he further expanded his musical horizon by becoming interested in blues musician Robert Johnson, which many, many were, obviously, and hardcore bands such as uh, punk, uh, Bad Brains. So hardcore punk bands like the Bad Brains. Uh, he would then go back and forth between L.A. and New York City. And then in 92, he started playing at the venue that you mentioned earlier, the Sydney Irish Coffee House in East Village. And that's where he wanted to learn how to be a singer. Uh, there he worked, like I said, on becoming a singer using a borrowed borrowed Fender Telecaster, uh, playing a mix of original songs, cover songs, uh, and then he began attracting crowds, record executives, and then he signed with Columbia Records on October of 1992 for a three-album million-dollar deal. And that's where Mark, you'll talk to us about Grace. Ooh, dang, man. Million dollars to make three records? Woo! So in 1993, Buckley began work on his first and only studio album, Grace, released on August 23rd, 1994. The album features seven original songs and three covers, Lilac Wine, uh, based on the Nina Simone version, a 15th century hen called Corpus Christi Choral, and the very popular Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. Sales were slow. Uh, for the album, although it, there was uh, initial critical acclaim. Again, as mentioned earlier, the song Last Goodbye, then, <clears throat> excuse me, jeepers peepers, uh, Last Goodbye then started getting heavy rotation on MTV and VH1. The album then started really picking up some steam, um, garnering attention from some huge and impactful musicians such as Jimmy Page, Bob Dylan, and David Bowie. Some of the accolades on this album were, were pretty outstanding, Frank. Uh, yeah. Best uh, best album of the year, 1994. Or excuse me, in the best 10 albums of 1994. Right. Um, 100 greatest albums of the 90s. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, greatest 500 albums of all time. That's pretty crazy. It's crazy. 1,001 albums you must hear before you die. Woo. I don't know if it was that good. Um, yeah. <laughs> It sold 2 million copies worldwide as of uh, 2007 and certified seven times platinum in Australia. Yeah, uh, must have been a hit there for sure. <laughs> must have been a hit there. They were like, we need to listen. Oh, what was that band from Australia you had to listen to? Oh, uh, The Living End. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing but The Living End and Jeff Buckley there. Wiggles, don't forget the Wiggles. Can't forget the Wiggles, absolutely. Yeah, musically, these songs feature uh, guitars that are that are jangly, but also that feel to be a leftover uh, of an alternate uh, alternative at times. Uh, it's very polished, which Jeff would later say that he wanted something more grittier. Um, there's folk elements to the album. Obviously, I think as soon as you hear that Hallelujah is on a record, you, you just assume it's going to be a folk record, but it's really yeah. not. Um Buckley has this facetta voice and it really becomes an emotional roller coaster of sorts as he as he navigates grace. Um, I wouldn't say it's it's emo as in what we know, you know, emo to be now, um, but it was very emotional and he certainly definitely had emotion to it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, the lyrics. Lyrically, excuse me. 
There are also uh, some themes uh, to note because of uh, a lot of the irony and, and foreshadowing with his life. The title track, Grace, is, uh, is inspired by Jeff saying goodbye to his girlfriend, not feeling bad about your own mortality when you have uh, true love. Uh, in much music, in in a much music interview from 1994, Buckley said, uh, the song itself is about, it's an elegy to no one about, I always described it as not fearing anything, anyone, any man, any woman, any war, any gun, any sling or arrow aimed at your heart by other people because there's somebody finally who loves you for real and that you can achieve a real state of grace through somebody else's love in you. End quote. Quite the quote. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, in addition to the song Grace, we have other really impactful tracks like So Real, The Last Goodbye, Lover, You Should Have Come Over, and Eternal Life. Um, you have to be in the mood for some of these tunes at a time, but, you know, to me, and I, I think I speak for Frank as well, it's a great blend of songwriting, um, really, really cool guitar parts. There are some really interesting ones and, and just one hell of a voice. You know, um, Buckley and the band would then go on a, a year and a half international tour uh, to support the record and did receive uh, some really nice reception for it, um, clearly in Australia. <laughs> Seven times platinum. Yeah, due, <laughs> due to the extensive touring, uh, Buckley stated the he started to feel the pressure of what would uh, be his next record and, and began performing under aliases. Um, he started missing the anonymity and anonymity. Oh my God! Look, I can read of <laughs> playing in cafes and locals bar. He would say, "Quote: uh, There was a time in my life not too long ago." when I could show up in a cafe and simply do what I do, make music, learn from performing my music, explore what it means to me, you know, i.e. have a little fun while I irritate and or entertain the audience and, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, who don't know me or what I'm about. In this situation, I have the precious and irreplaceable luxury of failure, of risk, of surrender. I worked very hard to get this kind of thing together this form this work forum i love it and it, then i miss it and uh now it's disappeared all i am doing is reclaiming it you know it's uh and that's the end of the quote excuse me um yeah. it really kind of speaks to what we mentioned earlier his sense of humor of like going to these cafes pretending he's somebody else or you know going under the guise of being somebody else in the first place just so that he can play and and enjoy playing with it and play with the audience. I think that's so cool. Yeah, it is very cool too. And and he, you know, he's got that and in the midst of that sense of humor too. You could tell he's probably he would have been if he uh, you know lived uh, longer than he did. I'm sure he would be one of those love hate guys with the with the with music in general, the industry uh, where it's such a passion of his, but then kind of uh, and the creation of it, but then everything else really again it it, it creates this uh, atmosphere that he was clearly uncomfortable with now that was his lone studio album as we mentioned however though 
there there is another album out there and it's called sketches for my sweetheart the drunk it's actually it was supposed to be my sweetheart the drunk but the sketches are on there because these songs are unfinished so after the completion of the tour in 96 buckley began writing a new album the title would be sketches for my sweetheart the drunk my sweetheart the drunk again was the working title and since it was never finished the sketches made its way into the title uh, buckley worked actually with patty smith on her 1996 album gone again and he met tom Verlaine, who's the lead singer of the punk band Television. Uh, Verlaine now ended up being tapped as producer for the album. Now, Buckley expressed a strong interest to finish recording this in Memphis. He was set on recording this in Memphis. Uh, he started to feel overwhelmed by the big cities, LA and New York, and he wanted a more laid-back environment. Uh, so in Memphis, Buckley, Buckley would play... Um, at bars, some underneath parking garages, which is pretty crazy. And the attempt was to test the new material and basically practice. Unhappy now with the sessions, though, while recording, Buckley uh, brought back Andy Wallace, who produced Grace. And the demos were sent to his band in New York. However, Buckley was still not happy at the end of the day with the results. He sent his band to New York while he stayed to work on the songs. And the band was scheduled to return to Memphis on May 29th, 97. Now, obviously, this record did not get completed. Uh, so there's more of a rough aspect to it. However, even if finished, I believe the intent here was to be edgier. You have tracks like The Sky's a Landfill, uh, which on the opening, this is the opening track. And it shows the heavier side of the band. It's completely different and angrier and tone than what was on grace uh the content of the song is based around the media industry and their relation to the music industry uh you have the track everyone everybody here wants you which is his experiment and take on soul and the track new year's prayer was influenced by led zeppelin's cashmere nightmares by the sea is all too ironic considering jeff's upcoming fate and my personal favorite track uh, is a song called vancouver uh, which also has this just unbelievable line where it says i am your failed husband contender I am your lone shark of a bliss. Wow. To me, that's that's just pretty pretty awesome, Mark. Yeah, that's an amazing line. Absolutely. So you mentioned the date before, May 29th, 1997. It's it, it's kind of the date. It's the reason we're here. You know, on this yeah. day, uh, Buckley's band would fly to Memphis to join him in the studio. The first evening they arrived, they decided to go down to the Mississippi River. Uh, being fully clothed, Buckley went swimming in the Wolf River Harbor. This is known as a slack water channel, which means um, short periods of time, the, the body of water, it, it's simply a tidal pool. It doesn't really go anywhere. It's, it's, it's unstressed. Right. There is no movement kind of either way in the stream. While, while Buckley was singing the chorus of Whole Lot of Love, mm -hmm. um, roadie Keith Foddy uh, remained on shore. Luckily, then found himself swept away by the river. Foddy was moving uh, a radio and a guitar out of reach of a passing tugboat. I feel like there's so much more there that needs to be unpacked. Yeah. Um, when Foddy looked up and noticed that Buckley had, had vanished, um, a rescue effort took place after Foddy reported the incident, uh, incident that night and morning. Um, that night, and by morning, uh, there were scuba teams in the water looking for him. There was no discovery until June 4th when two locals spotted the body of Jeff Buckley in the Wolf River near a riverboat. Yeah. Um, there was no proof of any uh, medical examiner's report of drug, uh, alcohol, or suicide. Eyewitnesses would report that Buckley's state of mind wasn't fragile. Uh, despite this report, it was questioned by former manager Dave Laurie 
Right. Lori would state that Buckley was, uh, quote unquote, acting erratic in the weeks leading up to his death. Some uh, of this behavior included attempt, uh, <laughs> some of this behavior included attempting to buy a house and a car wash, neither of which were for sale. Buckley also would apply to be a butterfly keeper at the Memphis Zoo. Uh, yeah. Lori would say that he wanted a normal life and was yearning to settle down. Uh, Lori would go down to the river three days after the tragedy, but before the body was found. Um, Lori crying uh, would throw rocks at the water, saying, how dare you leave me and this pile of you-know-what. Wow, crazy, crazy. And definitely erratic behavior, right? When you say mm-hmm. trying to purchase things that are technically for oh, sale. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting to me that there was no drugs in his system when they found him. Because I don't know anyone sober who's trying to become a butterfly keeper yeah. at, at the zoo. Right. Just yeah. because. Just because, right, exactly. And I get, you know, maybe... Yeah, listen, being like, oh, there's a house. Oh, too bad it's not for sale. I'm going to try to purchase that anyway. Like, okay, you get money. Okay, but the car wash too. Like, something something was going on, right? Yeah. Now, Joan Wasser, uh, who's the musician to whom Buckley uh, proposed um, marriage just before his death. But yeah, right. There's another thing proposed, right? Marriage days before his death was that not too long after they met Buckley, he would tell her, you know, I'm going to die young. Uh, another friend said that they felt, this is crazy, they felt Memphis walked him down the aisle because he was dreaming about death and he knew that something was up. He just felt it. Now, you know, listen, you have a father who dies that young. I think that's where possibly the foundation of those thoughts would come into play. Yeah. But when you read later. some of, right, yeah, yeah. And when you read some of his lyrics, like in Grace and a song called Nightmares by the Sea, it's sometimes hard to think that this was all accidental, especially after hearing the erratic behavior. Water for him seemed to be an injury, uh, an, an imagery, excuse me. Uh, Buckley would use these in these songs to, to represent death and create its environment. Now, in my research, Mark, because right, we said a lot. You know, there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, some say it wasn't an accident, right? So people were saying things like when people drown, they don't just disappear, right? Unless it's it's the ocean and they're slammed by the waves. Uh, typically, when they splash in the water, you would think that they would cry for help, right? No cries for help apparently. Uh, now the tugboat making an appearance may cause him to get right sunk under uh or he sucked him under right he could have hit his head like you said although i I don't know is that questionable or not uh on the site cora you know listen that's where some of the research takes place Uh, a lot of takes and theories um one said that he was drunk but now that would be refuted by the fact that the blood alcohol level was below the legal intoxication level uh perhaps panic is attributed to what happened the slack water is heavily polluted and with shoes and uh, you know the heavy shoes maybe and just being maybe just a casual swimmer, uh, maybe that was the cause. Again, these are all I'm saying. Those were question marks at the end uh, between the sewage and the agricultural runoff draining into it. That's not the best swimming environment to be in. So uh, poor and fatal judgment could be the reasoning, Mark. But uh, it, it definitely leaves a lot of question marks, my man. Yeah, it sure does. Let's peek back at, at Buckley's manager, Dave Laurie, for a second. Yeah. He tells a strange and eerie story about visiting... A bizarre, <laughs> visiting a bizarre experience. Um, don't mind me. That made no sense. He had with uh, a psychic just outside of London. This six crazy. Years after Buckley's death, 
who said, hey, Jeff, I'm going to do a really bad psychic voice now. A Jeff or a John is trying to get a hold of you. It has something to do with water. Lori would state, oh, it was a woman. Uh, she told me things <laughs> only Jeff and I knew, he said, explaining that he had given her a bracelet of Buckley's to hold. Towards the end, she said, is this, is his bracelet? And I said, yes. And she said, well, I don't know if this makes sense, but he didn't mean it for it to happen, but he didn't fight it. It's not your fault. It's okay to let go. Ooh. Yeah. Tim Buckley died from a drug overdose and became more famous than his father and hated the, uh, excuse me, and, and Jeff became more yeah. famous than his father, but he hated the comparisons. Sure. Um, you know, it is interesting. His father dies at 28 of the drug overdose. Jeff dies at 30 in this mysterious incident in the, the essentially the Mississippi River, really close, um, how, how much their lives have kind of oddly paralleled. Um, he was starting to feel uh, the immense pressure of, of his stardom. His father released, you know, a, a couple dozen records before he died, Crazy. but nothing, nothing as big as Grace would, would be. Um, and Buckley, uh, whereas Buckley only had the one Grace, excuse me. Uh, it was said that Buckley did abuse drugs and specifically heroin mm -hmm. um some would say he would get junked out but was never an addict uh his mother said he was a great swimmer creating a curiosity as to how a few waves uh could cause him to drown especially with his friend uh there potentially to save him uh from this danger you know it really that's interesting. There's a lot of questions. There's a lot of things, you know, I got to ask. I think if you ask my mother, she'd tell you I was a good swimmer. Right. Um, but I haven't been swimming with her in a long time. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing some things out there. You know, this, this information about him being a heroin addict. is interesting. Absolutely. It's interesting. I mean, but again, you know, but, and who's to say, right. This, this. But that would have showed up on on some sort of report, right? Right. You would think so. But again, he's this rising star. It's Memphis. You know, the last thing you want in Memphis is this rising star who's come to your town to have died of a drug overdose, right? A, a mysterious drowning is one thing. True. But something related to the water. So there might be more at play there. Yeah, there, there has to be. The person there, you know, I'm not saying that, again, they had, you know, something to... <sighs> something to do with it. But again, how, how do you not, you, like, how do you not hear that? Right. Or how is there not a struggle unless there was, like you said earlier, Mark, an immediate impact, right? An immediate, an immediate impact by something, perhaps the boat mm -hmm. could cause then there to be no struggle. But, you know, then again, what, what is, you know, what is this person doing also too, in their normal clothes in a polluted, disgusting agricultural runoff yeah. <laughs> you know, channel so it leaves a lot of questions right where was the rest of the band where this this roadie that was moving a guitar and a radio yes why was he moving them away from a tugboat i mean that's right. oddly particular what was this guitar doing so close to the water what was you know he's singing a whole lot of love what's what's this atmosphere i feel like there's a lot of people not saying a lot of things right right very very hush hush and mm -hmm. you know um 
you tie that into, oh, you know, he wasn't suicidal, he wasn't drunk, he wasn't anything like that, then it, it makes it seem like a freak occurrence. However, erratic behavior, right? You have erratic behavior. Um, there is some drugs involved, whether it was then. Uh, and, you know, again, he wrote a song called Nightmares by the Sea, and he ended up drowning in the sea. <laughs> you know, it's... Mm-hmm. One could think what he would have become you know and i think that's when, when you hear him and, and when you when you chat with him um or chat about him i always say well what could have been i mean looked like he was you know he could have been one who hey every once in a while created an album because of his love and hate with the with the industry or he could have been one who really became a big prolific songwriter but right mark it makes you think what would have jeff buckley been if if he would have lived yeah you know it's interesting when you compare Grace to uh, sketches of To My Love. Uh, yeah, sketches um, from My Sweetheart the Drunk. Thank you. Um, you look at the, the and obviously we, we, we can't get too deep into uh, My Love the Drunk because, My Sweetheart the Drunk, excuse me, because we don't know that that's how he would have finished it, right? This right. is the material he had he had completed and some sketches for, for the rest. Um is this how he would have finished it? We, we can't say, especially with the new producer, with bringing the band back in to rework things. It could have been a very different record than, than what we have. It could have followed that, hey, I've got three albums to do for Columbia. I'm going to stick to this formula. And these are things I'm going to hang on to for when I'm a little more free to, to do what I want. Yeah. Or it could have, you know, it, we could have seen a real um, change in direction like we saw with... Um, I'm losing the name of the band. Um, it was one that uh, from the '90s. You gave it to me, and I didn't like it. They spent uh, much time in the studio. Super drag. Super drag. We could have gotten another super drag situation, where he spent all that time in the studio with the guy from television. Went completely yeah. off. You know, not completely different direction, but a fundamentally different direction, and would have messed up his contract or, you know, gotten him in some legal trouble. The, it really does open that question up of, you know, beyond Jimi Hendrix, who put out a bunch of records, beyond um, the dude from Sublime, whose name is escaping me. Bradley Dole. Um, you know, those guys had a body of work behind them. You know, know. Um, certainly if you guys, um, you know, you look at Nirvana and, and what did Kurt Cobain have left, right? Theoretically, Jeff Buckley had his entire portfolio, short of one album, waiting to go. I so know. it really opens that question of what could have been you know we we could be missing the next great songwriter of uh, you know a generation clearly after grace he was poised to take a mantle of that statue yeah um, unbelievable too and another thing too which i never noted is he never liked just being jeff buckley in a sense where that's what he wanted he how he wanted to identify with his musical act i think he wanted a band you know so he could have after that contract expiration was up he could have formed a band and done all these unique things and of course you know here we are speculating um about it. it it it's a shame when someone like that dies so young when like you said their best work is is yet to yet to occur and it's you know if you're a devout fan listening to him out there i'm sure you devout fans get frustrated because it's really just two albums of work yeah you have all these random live stuff and things of that nature but it's like god it's like you almost want more or maybe with the mystique of it it's kind of this is the way it's happened Mm -hmm. um 
you know, regardless, it's it's interesting to think what if. I think, as Mark said, there is a lot to unpack there on the scenario around his death. And there's a lot, for some reason, we're not hearing. It just sounds very, very basic. Um, and I think there could be more to it. So, um, and that's that's the life, Mark, of of Jeff Buckley. But it was definitely fun to, de- to dive into this for sure, right? Can I, do, can I do my Robert Stack voice? Please. If you have any information on the death of Jeffrey Buckley, please contact, check out this record by leaving us a comment wherever you find us since we still haven't set up an email address. So Thank just you. Instagram. <laughs> Instagram, Facebook, you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, Apple, however you, whatever. However you find us. Absolutely. And that was a great Robert Sack, by the way. Um, fantastic. Not Robert Sack, I'm sorry. <laughs> fantastic. So, Mark, let's... Uh, I'll talk real quick about the next episode, shall I? Yeah, absolutely. And I shall. So we're going to start our our ascent, uh, ascent, excuse me, to our 50th episode. Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting higher and higher, right? Uh, We're going to be talking about a band that has musical ties to the band we'll be talking about on the, well, 49th and the 50th. Um, And the band is the Foo Fighters. So uh, we're going to be chatting about the Foo Fighters next week. Uh, We're going to be looking at, Mark, their debut album, discussing its tracks, and seeing if it really holds well after all this time. You know, I know after Dave Grohl and, you know, the, the, you know, caused obviously him not to be Nirvana anymore. He, he really went anonymously into the studio, recorded all this stuff. It's been a while since I heard this record, Mark. So I'm looking forward to it. What about you, mom, man? Yeah. So the, the debut Foo Fighters album aptly titled Foo Fighters is essentially Dave Grohl, but more importantly, that record's 25 years old. Woo. Five years ago, I, I can still remember that summer that it came out, Me putting too. the cassette in my Walkman and riding my bike around South Florida, listening to it almost entirely on loop, looking for anything to do. Um, <laughs> I think it would be exciting to dive back in. They recently debuted a new song on SNL, um, and I believe there's a new video out for it. I think that song's called Shame. Shame? It might Something. be Shame twice. It might be Shame once. I'm not sure. I didn't really like it. Um but they're an interesting band, and I always find myself wondering what Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters are up to. So it's going to be fun to kind of look back at it. I'm excited. Yeah, me too. Me too. It's going to be fun, and it's going to be a great buildup uh, to our 50th, which we are all super, super excited about. Um, so, yeah, Mark, that was the, that's what we do. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they've all figured out who the band we're doing for our 49th and 50th episode is. Who could it be? <laughs> it's obviously the Meat Puppets. Um, thank you for listening Uh, please like us, rate us, review us um, leave messages on Instagram about how good looking Frank is because he really is um, the better looking of the two of us, I mean look at him, he's gorgeous Um, (laughs) don't forget to subscribe and follow us on YouTube as well, thanks guys bye oh you're not going to do ciao ciao (laughs) peace